As a teenager growing up in Atlanta, I was uh, involved in scouting for a couple of years. Um, I wasn't the best kid in the world always, but I, they let me stay in it, and I loved the camping trips. That was the stuff that I loved. Uh, I didn't grow up camping much with my family, and so it was this whole thing, and I got really into it, and everywhere from Philmont, New Mexico, to uh, the North Georgia Mountains and other places, I just loved going on any camping trip our scout troop took. And uh, also it's my personality, but there would, I, I, when I'd hear of a camping trip, I'd just sign up for it. And I wouldn't really read the fine print as to what we were going to do. I just would like sign up because it's like, it's going to be great. We're going to go. And so this one time I was 16 years old and I signed up to go and you know, my parents asked, well, what are you going to be doing there? And I'm like, I don't know, we're going to be camping out. So we're going to go. And I signed up and I went and I had my backpack and my stuff and showed up and we're driving up on Friday. We're going to camp out uh, Friday night and then Saturday uh, hike. And they said, the thing we're going to be doing tomorrow is we're hiking to a rock climbing and rappelling uh, site. <laughs> Which people seemed really excited about in the van as we were going. <laughs> but I have a, still to this day, a morbid fear of heights. And, uh, and so I was pretty quiet. And they said, is everybody good with that? Everyone's like, yeah. And I was like, uh, yeah. Because, you know, you're 16 and you want to. Yeah, you know, I was tough. So I was like, I can handle this. I can, I can make it happen. And so, uh, but and I tried to console myself that night. It's like, I'm sure it's just like a little, little rock. It's like a little like man-made thing. I'm sure it's like a bunny slope. We can start out like I'd done that before. It's like, I can, I can fake anything for a little. So I get there and we hike on Saturday and we get there and it was on a mountain and just a cliff going up on this mountain. And, uh, and I'm sure my 16-year-old brain remembered it differently, but it was like they were asking us to scale the Empire State Building. I mean, I was sitting there looking at it going, there is no way. Is there like a beginner's course? It's like, no, this is where we're going. So everybody sign up and, uh, and, and we're going. And uh, you get the harness and you little carabiner and you get to the bottom and one at a time you have the plastic helmet because if you fall a thousand feet, you know, plastic helmet helps, right? <laughs> and you're, you start climbing up uh, this, this, this rock face and they were letting us go one at a time and you get to the top and then rappel down. And I was really focused and I went last. I was watching the other guys go first. So I'm like, okay, if I can just learn the path, your hand goes here, foot goes there, then I can like, I can, I can get there. I can make this happen. Right. And, and so I went last and the going up went okay. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I kind of learned the route. And one time I was going up and the guy who was, who was belaying me at the bottom, he's like, Thomas, you know, uh, you're going really fast, just turn out and enjoy the view. And you're like, nope, I'm not, I'm not enjoying the view. I was just staring at the rock and what's the next thing in front of me? And I get to the top and I made it. And it was this great moment until I realized I hadn't thought much about the repelling piece uh, of, the, of the getting down part. And I'd just been paying attention to the rock climbing part. There's this dude at the top and he, he kind of fastens me in, he's got a rope and he's like, all right, you ready? Do you know what to do? And I was like, no. <laughs> and he goes, have you done this before? And I was like, no. And he goes, all right, man, you just walk off the cliff. <laughs> and you're like, what? And he goes, just, you just, that's it, you just walk off the cliff. And two things physically happened to me in that moment that I had never experienced before. The first is, and if you've ever you've heard the term sweaty palms, right? I learned for the first time what I started, and this sounds gross, I was like sweating. It was like someone had turned a shower on on top of me. It was like, oh my gosh, what this means. And the second thing is that my legs rebelled against my brain. And I, I can still remember this of going, all right, you're 16, you don't wanna look, you're tough. 
you know, you can do this. So he's like, just walk over here to me. And I'm like, walk. And my legs were like, nope, we're not going. And I was like, no, we got to go over there. He's like, my legs genuinely, they just didn't move. They were like, we're not doing that. And he kind of looked at me, he goes, all right, um, what do you need to do if, if, if you're a little scared? I'm like, I'm not scared. I just, you know, I just, I've done it before. I've never walked off a cliff. I've always been taught that's a bad thing, right? To do that. And he goes, all right, well, what you're going to do is you need to learn to trust two things. He goes, the first thing you need to learn to trust is the rope and the harness. So what I'm going to get you to do while we're up here on the flat part is I'm going to like hook you in and I just want you to lean back and just like you're rappelling and I want you to feel the weight in your, you know, in your hand behind you and you're holding the rope and, uh, and feel the, the weight and the, the, it'll hold you. Do you feel that? And I was leaning way back. I'm like, I feel that. And he goes, and the second thing I need you to do is you just need to keep your eyes on me and listen to my voice. He goes, just trust me. You're going to be okay. I've got you. And so what I want you to do is I want you to turn your back to the cliff and I am going to say to you, back up, back up, and just back up in these little small steps. And when I say stop, you stop. And I'm like, I got that part. Uh, and he goes, and that means you're at the edge of the cliff. And then what I'm going to get you to do is just lean back and sit down. I was like, okay, no problem. And so I get there and he's like, hey, back up, back up, back up, back up. All right. Don't look down. Don't look around. Just lean back and sit down. Keep looking at me. And I am certain it was the most ungraceful <laughs> repelling that anyone has ever seen. But I did it. I leaned back and I sat down and I'm still looking. He's like, you're doing it. You got it. You're doing well. Just, just keep, don't look down. Just keep looking at me. You're going to be all right. I have got you. And so I just want you to pay attention to my voice and start walking down now. Just start walking down. You're like, all right. And I took a step and he disappeared and I'm looking at the sky and, and he goes, you doing all right? And I said, nope. And he goes, all right, we'll just keep going and just keep walking backwards. And I was like shuffling. I was like moonwalking, going back. I was just like going backwards down the thing. And then I got about halfway down and he was talking to me the whole time. He said, you're doing well. Uh, you know, do you have any questions? You see anything? And then he asked me one point, he goes, you having fun? And I said, no, I shouted back up. He goes, all right, well, he goes, try something. He goes, you can push off the rock. And I noticed other people doing this when they were repelling, they would push off and swing out and swing back. And he's like, just push off. And I was like, okay. And it was the second time my legs were like, nope, we're not doing that. And I did though. And finally I kind of looked at my legs and I'm like, do it. And I pushed off and I did. I got away from the rock face. I was about that far from the rock face. If someone had moved really fast, they could have put a piece of paper between my feet and the rock face, but they kind of put it in, but I did. I swung and I got all the way down. They unhooked me. The guys down there were celebrating because they could tell I was just a little scared. And uh, a couple of them made fun of me, but mostly they were, they were like supporting me, but I did it. It was now like, have you gone repelling again? No, I have no interest in ever doing anything like that again, but I did it. Move beyond the things that are fearful because in the end there was a voice and a person you could trust. That's what we're going to be talking about today. One of the most important things in life is learning to push into new territory, to push beyond what we think we can do. Not as some sort of ambitious life goal, because that's what calling looks like. God has a calling upon all of our lives. God has created us for a purpose, a reason, and it's more than just to have our own safe little bubble. The reason God has created us is to impact and influence this world, and sometimes to dislodge us from our tiny little insular worlds. God has to invite us to walk off a cliff, going, I'm telling you, you can do this. You can do more than you can ask or imagine. 
The life of a Christian faith is not about playing it safe and boring. It is about understanding that God's call is going to always invite us into a story that's bigger than ourselves. And the most common thing that stops us from that is fear. The most common command in the Bible is what? Do not be afraid. And as we're thinking about this and as we read the scripture passage, I, I also invite you to think of one other thing. I shared with you all before about studies of when people who are dying, what their regrets are about their life. I shared with you in the past that one of the most common regrets people have, because I think that's informative for how we live. I don't want to die with regrets, if possible, or as few as possible. One of the most common regrets is people work too hard, were too stressed out by work, and didn't pay enough attention to the relationships in their life, their family and their friends. That's one of the most common ones. But a second one that comes along with it is people at the end of their days regret the risks they didn't take. Far more than the risks they took even when they didn't turn out well. Statistically, the regrets you and I are going to have at the end of our life are not the failures that we tried. It's the nudges we felt and didn't trust. With that in mind, our scripture passage for today comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. I invite you to listen to God's word to us today. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took his wife Sarai and his brother's son Lot and all the possessions that they had gathered and the persons whom they had acquired in Haran. And they set forth to go to the land of Canaan. When they had come to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And from there he moved on to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and invoked the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on by stages towards the Negev. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray no matter who we are, what opinions, what thoughts, what beliefs we have, that we would experience your gospel today, your good news, and it would change us forever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is our lectionary text. As you may know, we're using the lectionary as we go through the summer, and there's benefits of the lectionary text. One of them is when you open and find that we're going to spend a lot of the summer, one of the Old Testament options is Genesis. There's amazing stories. Like that, I realize I've never preached on this passage. This is like one of the central passages. Uh, this is the call of Abraham and Sarai. This is the beginning of God's covenant. This is a hugely important passage that benefits uh, all of us are the ones benefited by uh, Abraham and Abram and Sarai's decision. And I never preached on it before. The good part about the lectionary is it, 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 it brings us in. The bad part of the lectionary is we only get one week on these things. And you can do like a seven-week series on these nine verses. This is so important. And we only have one week. So there's a lot we're not going to talk about in here. 
But what I do want us to focus on just for a second is the opening verses and this idea of calling. Abram and Sarai are called to go and do what may have seemed like to them, but probably seemed to everyone else in Haran like they were walking off a cliff. They were called and they didn't stay locked in fear by so many of the things that can lock us in fear. For instance, we have to celebrate the fact and acknowledge the fact that this call came to them when they were 75 years old. 75 years old is when the call came and God's like, hey, I got this idea. I want you to leave everything that you've got. I want you to travel out into the wilderness. I want you to go to a place that's acknowledged as pretty dangerous. I want you to go to a land where the people don't want you there. I want you to go and trust me that great things are going to happen if you do this. And at 75, probably when they were not going like, we just need some adrenaline kicks. Like we're just going to kind of go out and like look for something fun and dangerous to do. God calls them to pack up everything they have and to move uh, in the desert in very difficult conditions. It's amazing that they're willing to take this step. It's amazing when you look at this passage that they're willing to risk what they've accumulated. See, it says that they've got flocks, they've got possessions. Got, they have obviously been very successful in here, and they have a lot of stuff. And when you are successful in life, when a church is successful, it can become risk-averse. Because you all of a sudden don't want to lose anything. Don't want to lose what we got, so let's just play it safe. And it's not about being reckless. None of us are called to be reckless. But it is the understanding that these folks don't allow the many possessions they have to stop them from hearing the call and responding to it. I'm sure there were people going, I can't believe they're doing this. But they were willing to step off the cliff. And changed all of our lives, changed your lives, changed my life, that they were willing to do this. How did they know they were called? How do you know that God wants you to do anything? I've been in vocational ministry for over 20 years now, which makes me feel very old. And what it also makes me feel is, I've got enough of a track record to understand the common questions people have. And I would tell you that in my 20 plus years of doing ministry, the most frequent question I am asked is this, how do I know what God wants me to do? Some questions in life are really obvious, right? Like if someone came to you and was like, I got this idea for a career I think God wants me to do, I think I'm supposed to steal money from people. You're like, no, I don't think so. I think that was pretty clear. The Bible has a lot to say about stealing. I think we should avoid that. I'm pretty certain God is not asking you to do that. There are some decisions that are just right and wrong. And the Bible guides us on that and community guides. Most of the decisions, and we make decisions all the time a day, are not clear right or wrong decisions, are they? Are we supposed to use the lectionary this summer or should we do a summer series like we always do? There's no right or wrong in that. Those are the kind of decisions that we make. What school should the kids go to? Which house should we buy? Which jobs should I accept? Should I go on a date with this person who asked me or not? There's all kinds of questions that is like, this isn't like Star Wars where it's right and wrong and good and bad, right? It's like life is more complex than that. There are times we have to make decisions in little ways and in big ways where we don't quite know what to do. And how do you know if God's calling you? How do you know if God wants you to take a job or not? How do you know if God wants you to say yes to a date or not? How do you know what God is asking you to do? How do you know what God wants you to do in dealing with difficult relatives or whatever? How do you know? How did Abram and Sarai know? 
that what they were doing wasn't walking off a cliff, but they were trusting in a voice and in a rope and in one who's going, I've got you. How do you know? One of the things I have come to believe very dearly is that when it says that people hear God's call, sometimes we hear a voice, but most of the time we don't. I know people who have heard a voice. I never have in my life. I've never heard an audible voice. Doesn't mean I'm not called. Doesn't mean you're not called. The ways that I believe and have come to believe to trust in knowing the desires that God has for us is about the presence of peace. Is that when we are facing decisions, we are to pray, we're to go to our community, our small groups, to ask them to pray, we're to, to lay it before the Lord, but there's going to come a time when people will weigh in and when we can like, look at the Bible and we can do all this stuff, but there's going to come a time when we have to look in the mirror and make a call. And if you pray, and if you think, and if you kind of work the process, there should become a moment of clarity, and the moment of clarity I often find is due to the presence of peace. There's going to become a choice that you make that goes, I just think this is the right thing. I just have a sense of calm. And on paper, it might look like the logical thing, but on paper, it might look like the illogical thing. But this is the direction that brings me peace. The Bible talks about peace as a very important way of testing the spirits. Uh, Paul writes about this in the New Testament when he says that fruit is uh, the fruit of the Spirit, that one of the first fruits of the Spirit is peace. He's like, if you are walking in the Spirit of God, peace will be a part of your journey. And if you don't feel a peace about things, a, con- a deep down sense of conviction of peace, you might not be walking in the Spirit. He says that there's, all, there's also a peace that passes understanding, the Bible says. You can be doing the illogical thing and yet know that God's calling you to do it and step off the cliff because you're trusting in the voice of the one who calls you. I have come to believe that peace can be a barometer for what the Spirit is leading us to. I'll give you three quick stories. I'm just going to give you three quick examples. I think this is better in like real life than just theory. The first is uh, a young guy named Brent. Brent was a part of a college ministry in Atlanta that I directed uh, a number of years ago. And Brent was just one of those insanely gifted college students. He was a student at Georgia Tech. He knew when he got there what he wanted to study. He wanted to study engineering. He knew uh, that he was from the Southeast. He knew kind of where he wanted to go back to. He loved his family. had a very tight-knit family. He had a best friend from high school. that They were going to graduate. They were going to move back uh, to a city near their hometown. Uh, and he knew the company he wanted to work for. He did great in school. When he got to his senior year, the company offered him a job. He knew what he wanted. He had other folks that came and, and offered him and talked to him because he'd done really well in school. And he just kept going, no, no, I know exactly what I'm going to do. And then one day he came and met with me. He goes, hey, I've got this offer from a company just outside of New York City. I've never been to New York City, but there's something about it. I'm like, what do you mean there's something about it? Is, like, is it a better pay grade? He goes, no, when you look at cost of living, it's actually online. It's the kind of job I thought I was gonna do. I'm like, do you know any, do you have any friends in New York City? Are any of the people graduating? No, do you have any family in New York City? No, I don't know why, but this thing, like the other ones just melts away. There's something about this thing. And I said, well, you should pray about it. And then like a couple weeks later, he came back and he said, hey, they're inviting me up for an interview. I've never been, I think I'm just gonna go. If nothing else, I get to see Central Park. He's like, yeah, you get to see Central Park. Like, just go and, and see what it's like. And he came back from me, he goes, I don't know, it was, it was great. It doesn't make any sense. 
my parents don't want me to go up there. My friend from high school is coming back to the hometown. Is like, what are you doing? Like we said, we were going to, he goes, but I don't know. I just, I can't. And in the end, he made the decision to go up to New York. And I loved what he said. He said, as I prayed about this and I've asked my small group to pray about this, the thing that is going to make this decision for me is I actually feel like doing the step that made sense, going back towards my hometown, it fills me with anxiety. I just know it's the wrong thing, and I cannot tell you why. And so I am going to accept this job in New York City, not knowing anybody. Central Park was nice, but I'm not going to be able to afford to live within like 25 miles of it. And so, but I just feel like it's what I'm supposed to do. And he made the call. And I can tell you that years later, Brent is an elder in his church. His faith has come alive. He's married. He's got children up there. It's been this whole thing that God has just opened up this life for him. And his parents were basically saying, it was like, you're walking off a cliff. He wasn't reckless. There was a peace that passes understanding as he prayed about it that led him. Or take Julia, for example. Julia was a young adult in a church that I worked at. And she um, was highly competent, highly successful, very ambitious, very driven. She worked for Google. She was uh, doing really, really great. And as she was doing well in her career and just a, a person of deep faith, she had started dating a guy named uh, Evan. And Evan was uh, a part of our community as well. And, and Julia was just, uh, uh, you know, in love with Evan and, and things were great. But, but he was getting more serious than she was. And, and it's not, and I, she was talking about it. She was like, it just makes me nervous. I think he's going to ask me to marry him. And I don't, I don't, know, I don't know if I want to get married. My, my parents are divorced. And I can know the, 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 the trauma of this. I just don't know if I want to get married. I'm not worried about if I'm single my life. I'm like, you shouldn't be. She goes, you know, I don't want I, I to start making decisions that compromise my career. And, and I, all of a sudden, if you get married, maybe you do that. And you're like, it, it can happen. I, you know, I, I, Evan seems like a great, I don't know. And she could just see her. She's like, she was asking her a small group to pray. She goes, I think he's going to ask me to marry him. I, I, it just fills me with worry. And so one day, she was on a date with Evan, and they were walking in a place that they had loved to go. And all of a sudden, she said, I looked up, and my mom and dad are there, and Evan's parents are there. And he turned around, and he's holding a ring, and he gets down on a knee. And I went, can I see your hand? Do you have a, do you have a ring on there? Or? And she showed me, and she did. I said, well, what? Tell, what? She goes, I've been so nervous for so long about this. And the moment he got down on a knee, this calm came over me. And I just knew this is the right thing to do. And God has blessed their life and their family and her career in unbelievable ways. It's a peace that passes understanding that you come to. Or take in the end, Irene. Irene... Uh, was a woman, she and her husband were married for, and uh, very happy, had raised two children. Children had gone to college, gotten through college, graduated from college. And Irene and her husband decided, we're gonna, when their last one graduated from college, said, we're going we're gonna to take a vacation. They always want to go to Spain. So they took off and they went to Spain for a few weeks. And while they were in Spain, uh, in kind of an Airbnb sort of thing there, they looked at each other and they're like, I think, I think we're supposed to move here. I, th- I think we're supposed to move to Spain. I love this community. I love the culture. I love what we're doing. We should go on an adventure. We should do this. And their friends back at home, their kids were like, what are you talking about? Like, no, we're gonna, we really think this is what's supposed to happen. And they did. They moved in their 50s to Spain. And for 20 years, they lived there. And they formed the most amazing community. They were part of a, uh, of a church. They had deep friendships there. They got involved with homeless ministries in Spain. They had this whole thing that they were doing. They just immersed themselves in the culture. And they, they built an incredible life for themselves. 
One day while they were in their 70s, Irene's husband went to get breakfast and died of a heart attack. No warning signs. And she said that it was amazing how her friends and her community in Spain just rallied around her. She said she was loved, she was prayed for, she had food brought, she had dinner invitations. She goes, I did not feel alone at all as I went through the grieving process. So, but about a year afterwards, I went back to the states, to the city where we lived in our 70s. Neither of her adult children lived there. They are in different parts of the country. Said, I, 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 you know, I got to catch up with people I hadn't seen. I, you know, you, friendships had, had, had sort of drifted in that time. And while I was there, I had this strong, strong sense come over me that I'm supposed to move back in her 70s. And she said she went back and kept praying about it. And she said, there was just this calm to move in her 70s back across the ocean to a place that she didn't have as many friends as she did in Spain. And she goes, but I just couldn't shake the feeling. And so I announced that I was going to. And people in Spain did the same thing my friends in the States did 20 years ago. They're like, you can't do this. Like, how can you leave? This isn't the right thing. There's no way you're supposed to do this. She goes, I know. I can't explain it to you. But I believe, I have this sense this is what I'm supposed to do. And in her 70s, she moved back to her hometown without having any family there anymore, uh, with friendships she needed to rekindle. And the Lord has just blessed a whole new season of her life that she was looking at. She is not a reckless person. But a whole new season of her life where she was just like, I know it looks like I'm walking off a cliff. I know that. But I'm telling you, there's a voice that is going, I have got you. Just move your feet. Just lean back. And you're going to be okay. Don't let fear and uncertainty lock you in to feeling a nudge and not exploring it. The most common regrets we are going to have at the end of our life are not the things we tried that didn't work. The most common regrets we're going to have are the things we felt nudges to do that we were too scared to explore. Do not be afraid, the Bible says over and over and over again. You and I are called into an adventure, into a story that is bigger than ourselves. And I wonder as we read this passage from Genesis 12, what that time was like in Haran when Abram and Sarai announced they were leaving, taking all their possessions, moving to Canaan, moving through the wilderness at 75. I imagine the gossip in the town. I imagine the people in Haran, oh, I heard, do you, I heard this is why they're doing it. I heard this is what's going on. Did you hear this? I heard that. And people are like, oh, I would never do that. That's not, never what you would do. And all of these people were just getting more and more invested and, and wound up. And I wonder in the midst of that if the two calmest people were Abram and Sarai. I wonder if there was a peace that passes understanding for them of going, I know it looks like I'm stepping off a cliff, but I hear a voice. And to not step off fills me with anxiety. This is what we're supposed to do. And God called them into a far greater story. You and I make decisions every day. How do you know what God wants you to do? Pray about it. Get others to pray about it. Make your pros and cons list. That's all good. But by following the path of peace, you're probably moving the direction the Lord wants you to go. Even when it feels like you're stepping off a cliff. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we do pray for your guiding all of our steps, all of our decisions. 
pray this in Christ's name. Amen.